Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are just outside 24 hours, Matt, to the premiere of the pilot on HBO. Cannot wait to have what is surely going to be a deep dive dialogue with our audience. Yeah, I really think that for all the different shows that we've podcasted, this this could be the show that is the most challenging in terms of theories, in terms of engagement, in terms of you know, the the real world issues that it's exploring, the in-world mysteries, the connections, how does it reference things to the graphic novel, how is it extending from little threads left? And it's, uh, I mean, I, I can't wait for this ride to begin. Having seen the pilot, I can't wait to watch it again. I've continued to tell my wife, she's like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it. It's it's HBO. It's good stuff. I'm like, you, you don't know what the first five minutes are going to bring. And you're going to turn to me <laughs> and say, this is a whole other level from what I expected. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to delve into uh, an article today from the New York Times uh, entitled Who Will Watch Watchmen uh, that was published on October 16th. Um, but I think it bears mentioning be careful what's out there because there are some. So this the first six episodes have been screened. Um, and there are details that are out there. Uh, there's one Washington Post article that has a lot that I did not expect them to put out ahead of time, any kind of embargo or anything like that. And then I'm trying to remember the other one. It might've been entertainment weekly. There were some other choice details. Um, so be careful. This article that we're going to discuss does not spoil things past what they have talked about ahead of time, but we chose this very particularly because of the the interview transcript style, particularly late um, between uh, the reporter and series uh, creator and uh, showrunner Damon Lindelof and star Regina King. And we also have some episode titles that we can pick through. Maybe we'll save that for a little bit later in the podcast, Pete. You know I run spoiler-free, but I feel like, you know, in this in this sizzling anticipation, you got to look at episode titles. Looking at them now, Pete, there's none that say, there's none that have the title of, you know, uh, major character gets killed off in this episode. So I think <laughs> that we can, it can be just a little, a little sizzle for the stake as we count down. The thing I particularly enjoyed about the pilot um, amongst many things, but was how they introduce the title of the episode and the chapter, uh, like the graphic novel and the, the chapter of the, uh, the pilot is particularly thought provoking. Yet at the same time, if you know your pop culture, you might recognize it. And I think that that's the number one thing that people can watch for, as the pilot unfolds, maybe not the one, the number one thing, because there's a whole lot of content there. There's a whole lot of thought-provoking stuff. But if you're coming off of the graphic novel, which of course we are, having podcasted those twelve chapters, the effort made to be an extension of that, albeit all these years later, to kind of inhabit that world, to treat the graphic novel as 
having happened, just having been presented in graphic novel form, um, that's that's one of the striking things in the pilot where they've tried to do these little small things to say, hey, it's the same thing. It's just this is the TV show and you read the graphic novel. So because there is no new frontiersman in our world, Matt, we will now discuss uh, Jeremy Egner's article. Uh, two things I want to point out uh, to start. First, um, the quote in the second paragraph here by Damon Lindelof, and I'll read it to you. Five hours from now, 2,000 people will have seen the Watchmen pilot, he said, looking ahead to the show's debut at New York Comic Con that afternoon. Conservatively speaking, 1,000 of them are going to hate it. And as the article uh, stresses, that was not the case at all. Uh, I don't think we were around anyone who disliked what they saw on uh, Friday, October 4th, when we screened that uh, shortly before the panel with the creatives and uh, the stars of the show. And to add to that, Pete, I think that in a crowd that big, which by the way, not to have my pinky up about New York Comic Con, but Mr. Lindelof, it was three thousand people, not two thousand there assembled. Well, you bring you bring up the first issue, and I had mentioned this to Matt off mic. Um, the first time I read that article, it was five thousand. That dramatically changes the idea behind his sentiment that you know, okay. Uh, 20% of the people who are going to watch this as opposed to half of the people who are going to watch this. Um, and the recurring theme in this article is provoking a reaction as opposed to um, intentionally trying to get a reaction out of an audience. Well, what I found interesting was with a crowd that big, with the 3,000 people there assembled, and particularly, and without being spoilery here, with an opening that certainly, I mean, this is out there, maybe it's not out there that's the opening, but, you know, with with discussing the, uh, the Tulsa race riots of the 1920s and whatnot, you could sense, you know, you could sense that that landed differently with different people regarding their, whether it's their ethnicity or their views, you know, uh, on race, et cetera, et cetera. That's not to say the people were like, yay, race riot, but just you could hear different people in the audience appreciated the ebb and flow of the opening scenes and some of the dialogue that the show was having about race. People were appreciating, appreciating that on different levels. And, you know, that's not an experience that we usually get at home, my home, your home, whatever, any of us watching at home where it's just kind of your smaller group and to kind of watch in real time hey different different areas of this story are landing differently uh with people based on how they've experienced the world that was a really cool experience and honestly for all the other stuff that we've seen at new york comic-con yay it's daredevil yay it's agents of shield etc there kind of hasn't been a lot of the other shows that we've podcasted don't necessarily push those buttons of let's do a comic book show and have a discussion about uh, race or the role of government or the role of police uh, Watchmen does and you could hear it hitting the audience differently yeah uh, apart from the the drama of the thing the second issue and it's the only other issue I, I have but I do this to start so uh, Mr. Egner in his article begins a paragraph saying that the 2009 film version was faithful to the source material um, 
anyone who's read this graphic novel and has watched Zack Snyder's movie knows it is not faithful to its source material. Does it use much of it? It does. Faithful, not a word I would use, and really something that a copy editor might have pushed back on. The, the sentence is faithful to the source material, argu- arguably to a fault. I think which makes I, it even worse. <laughs> well, I think I understand Egner's point, which is sometimes there's a shot-for-shot nature which does not look at the adaptation process from graphic novel to film. However, to your point, Pete, there are also, and I, I returned to it many times when we were discussing the graphic novel, there's also times where the adaptation strays so far. You know, it's one panel where, uh, who is it, Night Owl and Silk Spectre are in the prison uh, right. hallway. Yep. And it's a two and a half minute, you know, blood soaked, you know, Zack Snyder scene. Speed up, slow mo. Yeah nonsense and come on man you you don't have the giant squid you pin this instead on manhattan um with everything that is coming in the hbo series it makes that but let me let me digress and put it this way i bet they are doing everything they can to keep the movie right now from being the thing, hey, watch the movie and then you can watch the series because they do not, they will not line up. I mean, certainly so, certainly so. Where else do you want to jump into this article, Pete? Particularly in the um, interview transcript portion, if you will, I was really struck by Damon Lindelof's um, introspection in terms of, uh, you know, white people, Hollywood, the stories being told, et cetera, et cetera. And as somebody, you know, who identifies obviously with the same type of characteristics as, as Lindelof, uh, as, you know, podcasters who, uh, podcast Marvel TV shows and movies, um, that this has much more to say than that. You know, you talk about beginning with the uh, race riots in, in Black Wall Street in 1921, as the series does. Um, and and then this idea here. So the, the concept of the reparations or reverations, as the show refers to them, um, and that Lindelof had his mind changed about reparations with the article that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates Atlantic essay, the case for reparations. Um, And then talking about the need to not be a a white savior, um, not to do this out of guilt, that this was a story that they felt they wanted to tell. And the number of times it comes up in the interview that, uh, you know, you're talking about an African-American star, uh, you're talking about a part specifically written for her and the diversity in the writer's room, you know, at all times outweighed the, you know, lack of it. Um, and both in terms of race and gender. 
And, you know, there's, there's the portion that's going to say, oh, this is, you know, politically correct nonsense. But this is a story. You watch that pilot and you never, ever feel like, all right, they're, they're trying to do this to check boxes. And that these race riots were real, that I had never heard of them prior to uh, getting up and, and gearing up for this show. Um, and Mr. Lindelof talks in the interview about how he had not known and wanted to get it out here. That's the transformative nature of art. We, we don't see that in the other things. I mean, to a certain extent, I would say some of the things we do in, in the Star Trek universe in such a way. But, you know, when we watch Iron Fist and podcast about it, it's not really going on. And I think that's where there's a huge opportunity for this show to be about something in a way where those other shows, I mean, I hate to kick Iron Fist when, you know, <laughs> the show started he will, down. He will block it. Danny Rand of Rand Enterprises will will block it and then make his hand light up. Uh, is that the same Danny Rand who is uh, the Iron Fist, Pete? The immortal Iron Fist? Sworn protector of Kunlun and enemy of the hand. But, you know, when they when they make... When they pre-produce that show saying, ah, the character is originally white, probably no upside to, you know, making them Asian, making the Defenders be, you know, uh, a blind guy, a woman, an African-American, and an Asian. Ah, I'll just keep it the way, it, the way he was, where his biggest problem is, oh man, I'm rich, and I don't have a, uh, a driver's license, and uh, also, I know Magic Kung Fu. They weren't, they made that decision, and... You know, I, I I don't want to say that decision permeated through the series, but they wanted to make one kind of show and not another kind of show, and we ended up with Iron Fist, whose reputation is not fantastic. Flip side here, Lindelof and company have aimed much much higher. You know, we'll see how these episodes unfold. I, the pilot was terrific. I, I want to circle back to your comment, Pete, that they're there are things in it or the show is designed to be provocative. I don't think it's provocative for the sake of, you know, being of upsetting people to upset people. Are there going right. to be upset people who watch this show saying, but wait, I was hoping for a silk specter in like, you know, rubber again, what's going on where, you know, I think we want to see Jean smart and, and rubber, you know, she's, she's excellent, but uh, it's just not the look anymore. You know, but I mean, just the point being, if this is people in their underwear fighting other people in their underwear, and at the end of the day, it's clear who the good guys are and it's clear who the bad guys are, this is a wholly different show. Wait a minute, Pete, that sounds like a graphic novel I read called Watchmen, where it's not about people in their underwear. In the case of one character, he doesn't wear anything. Um, it's similarly provocative based on the graphic novel, Pete, I look forward to people complaining. The comic was never like this when it was <laughs> right. You, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Okay. We have had discussions in the 12 chapter lead up to this podcast talking about, uh, gender, uh, identity and sexuality and all these types of things. So, you know, the thing that that's incongruous with, the 2009 film and the comic, the, the, the graphic novel is a comic book for smart people. And when I say the graphic novel, I'm referring about Watchmen. Um, the film is not a smart people film. 
Um, and everything that comes across in, like you mentioned before, the editing techniques and stringing things together. Now, there are great sequences that, that bring uh, references to the screen we really had no right to ever see. And I, I love the credits. It's probably my favorite opening credit sequence of, of any film. Uh, really, really good. You want to use the word faithful there, we'll go with that. But those issues aren't followed up upon. Um, they they fall by the wayside. You know, Zack Snyder is a glorified music video director, uh, a la Michael Bay. Um, Until the Snyder Cut is released, Pete, and it brings about world and, peace, and he is given and, the Nobel Peace Prize because that's what the Snyder Cut of Justice League can do, bring us together yes, in a way only ever the, hoped by Watchmen and the Squid. Well, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, wait, isn't he the that, guy that took the squid out? But I digress, Pete. Snyder Cut will save us all. That's the only way we ever, we ever hold hands uh, in a stronger, loving world. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a situation where these things are needed in the dialogue. On a day, Matt, today, Saturday, October 19th, where David Duke's name has been trending on Twitter all day. OK, because he has endorsed a Democratic candidate for president um, and that this is still a thing in 2019 that the KKK could have some form of relevance in our world. This story needs to be told. And I feel like with all of this heavy stuff that the show has and all the timeliness. And I mean, my goodness, Pete, I look that it was first reported that Lindelof was on board in uh, June, 2017. So, you know, post 2016 election, et cetera, et cetera. I also feel like Lindelof is uniquely uh, qualified to take all of these larger issues and to wrap it up in a, in a TV package, in a TV box that can also be fun and it might yep. it might sound like a weird transition to go kkk race issues tulsa riots etc but at the end of the i don't want to say at the end of the day he's dumbing it down but like no. this also needs to be something that people want to watch otherwise lindelof can executive produce a really awesome nine-part pbs uh documentary series about race relations in america he being you know one of the guys from lost etc cetera, etc cetera, where you can get you can work in those little references. You can do the J.J. Abrams mystery box. You can have all those callbacks and this and that, the other. Some of the stuff where I suspect there will be episodes. I mean, my goodness, I would include the pilot in that where it's just like, oh, man, this is heavy. This is deep. And if you need to just take a breath for a minute, you can sit and go, so is that character like maybe a renamed character from the graphic novel? Let's Let's spend theory time talking about that because I just need to take five minutes away from oppressive racism in this country which also is in there too let's not forget that lost was topical in such a way i mean the mind whirls if lost was produced today the makeup of the plane um but you know in 2004 three years removed from 9 11 to have the discussion a couple episodes maybe even in the pilot, if I'm remembering correctly, okay, that the Arab character is under suspicion for why they are on the island. And it winds up, of course, being a misdirect. Um, so 
and like you said before, to take the topical things in our world and to make them fun. Um, you know, I've seen all of Lindelof's big, you know, things between Lost and Leftovers. Matt has not. And the way he was able to push some of those sensibilities and those, you know, whammo moments, they, they say every 10 pages in a script, you're, you're supposed to have a, a whammo moment, something that just, boom, completely changes the story. And no show like Leftovers on HBO uh, handled that as well in terms of, you know, w- wait a minute, what, what just happened with this scanner that came out of a wall and, and what needs to go on it to grant somebody access into this safe location? Is this really happening? Okay. Um, and now you take this comic book that, uh, David Lindelof has had this lifetime relationship with, and he's he's quoted on the copy of uh, the the 12 issues that I've been reading out of, probably the one that Matt's been reading out of um, as a being a masterpiece and now able to play in this world and to be respectful of it um, and to work with many of the concerns that were concerns back then that, you know, some got a little bit more play than others and to be able to do them now. Um, you know, there are people who are saying that through the first six episodes of Watchmen, that this might be the best show of the year, that, that that's even a discussion says something about the ride we're in for. And I think in addition to the content that it brings, I think the time is right for a show like this, by which I mean to say, Lindelof references Deadpool and Logan as some of that kind of more R-rated, adult-oriented uh, comic book fare. So we kind of understand what that is. Um, obviously, Deadpool, much more irreverent. I'd say to a certain degree, Logan, you know, yay, he gets to stab people and chop off heads. But it's kind of like a, that's a soft R. Um, you know, some of the violence in the pilot is, it's not necessarily hard R, you know, Freddy Krueger, but it's kind of like, it's serious in a way where, you know, Logan unleashing at the beginning of that movie is silly, even if you're, you know, even if you're 10 years old. Um, similarly, you know, th- there's been that maturation of the comic book film, the comic book genre, and with scattered success from what we're not supposed to call the DC extended universe because they came up with a name that nobody uses. So with kind of the, <laughs> the, the scattered success there and then now uh, Joker having done well uh, probably for a variety of reasons, but it kind of being less concerned about let's build the big event movie five years from now. And instead let's do the thing we want to focus on now that that message is being repeated for this show. We're not concerned with, well, is this going to set up season three where we pick up the comic storyline where it was an alternate timeline compared to the main DC one? And Dr. Manhattan will talk to Batman. No, Lindelof has said, I think maybe humbly, maybe a bit overly humbly, but he has said the sole focus is this this season and if this is it, this is it. And I really appreciate that disclosure, uh, knowing ahead of time, this might be all that we get. I mean, let's hope for 
massive ratings and, you know, a huge following of the show and an opportunity to tell more of these stories. But I can also appreciate that beginning, middle and end. And, you know, with Lost and we both love that show. And there are people that were disappointed by the by the pilot, by the finale. Um, And, you know, their their middle run was was difficult because the nature of broadcast TV. But I I think HBO was 100 percent the correct network to do this. And this could stand alongside a lot of the great HBO shows. I mean, will it be Sopranos? Will it be The Wire? I, I think that would be beyond ambitious to uh, to expect. But uh, I see no reason why this can't be something that, you know, moves in sort of circles that a Game of Thrones did. I think that the Lost finale is a sort of proto what we would call today whether it's last jedi uh effect game of thrones i i think the finale of lost was an early example and there's probably earlier ones but an early example of i want my ending a certain way and you and i don't understand why you didn't give it to me i think bottom line there's many people who just did not understand the finale and or casually watched the show um and or were just um not smart enough to understand what the wreckage at the very end was. It was, I mean, right. you know, it was to, to decompress to get you ready for the 10 o'clock show or the 11 o'clock <laughs> news or whatever. Uh, but the point is this, Pete, in a world where people can say, Game of Thrones, you let me down because I had certain expectations, I would argue that actually the, the fans are on, on the right there. Uh, but similarly, hey, Last Jedi, you don't understand. I've, I've gotten myself so hyped up with all my articles. Uh, it was supposed to be a certain way. Now you've ruined my cred back at my blog site. Um, it, I, there's that that's kind of in the air. Well, how do, you, how do you, as a creator, work against those sorts of expectations? One way is to say... Uh, don't expect the finale, don't expect the arc of this show to be wink, wink, actually setting up season two. And you can definitely look forward to in the last episode of season one of Watchmen. Um, oh, I don't know, Sister Night and uh, Red Scare. Pete, they're going to open uh, a hatch that's in the ceiling and they're going to look <laughs> up it and they're going to say, wait, it just goes up and up and up. What is it? See you in September. Like, the expectation is beginning, middle, end, the end. Is it going to be the end of the world and all life in the universe is killed? No. If there's more people and more story, then you do a season two. But this story of someone is dead, we're going to go through the process of exploring that. And, yeah. you know, beginning, middle, end, that is, that's the expectation Lindelof is trying to set. And playing in the world of the graphic novel, not necessarily with all the toys that you had before. I mean, this idea, we were talking again off air uh, before we started recording today, the the little teaser that came out for the Star Wars trailer that will be out on, um, on Monday, October 21st. And there are people who are very upset that the image – is Ray and Chewie and Finn and Poe in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. No, this should be uh, Mark Hamill and uh, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher 
Um, forgetting a fact, of course, that uh, Carrie Fisher died, that Harrison Ford is uh, written out, and that Mark Hamill is in the movie, just not the focus of the movie. It can't always go back to, you know, the old characters that you had. We need to have these new generations. This graphic novel is about a second generation of heroes. So to get this natural transition of a third and, you know, beyond excited for people to see this, I'm really fascinated to watch how people feel about Regina King's character, uh, Angela Abar. And I just want to go to something that um, King uh, talked about in this little interview here. Uh, you know, we had seen her talk in New York Comic Con and she she told the story and go back and listen to that uh, podcast about, you know, getting pitched the show and, you know, seeing the the uh, the artist rendering that she was given. But she talked about how complicated this woman is. And, and we begin to glimpse some of that in the pilot. But I, I still think it's it's nowhere near realized. And King says this woman is obviously uh, was someone I had never seen before, obviously, because she's black. That has a lot to do with that. But even more than that, just being the lead and being so strong, but so vulnerable. We see that inner turmoil, even when you're waiting for her to become unhinged, you don't know exactly what, quote, unhinged, unquote, is for her. And that really fascinates me in terms of what we can look forward to with this character. Obviously, the nature of the story that's set up with police needing to cover their faces as a result of, of, of violence towards police officers, certainly something we can, you know, extend into our real world. And then the idea of a black woman and telling this story and then the things we can't talk about from the pilot in her background that use the world of the graphic novel and at the same time that further this multicultural element. It's, it's fascinating. It's going to be a real interesting character study. Well, Pete, we are not the only ones excited for this show. Certainly, we're looking forward to having the discussion. And I'll remind everybody again, part of the reason that we're podcasting the show uh, on Watchmen Wednesdays is to give people time to analyze theories, to reflect on the episode, to see how they feel about the latest events in the show, and to have that discussion uh, with us, social media, uh, Gmail, et cetera. And we'll give all that contact info in a bit. But Pete, we got an email uh, in anticipation of the show with some some compliments for us, which is always a nice thing. So uh, I'm going to share it with you now. Please. Dear Pete and Matt, I recently discovered all of your podcasts. I'm on the roads of America a lot driving for Wally World, if you know what I mean. And I can't rely on radio stations except for the blare of NPR. You guys cover a lot of great comics properties, and I'm excited to see what HBO brings with Watchmen. I mean, with stars like Jeremy Irons and Tim Blake Nelson heading up the leads, how can you go wrong? I think this is going to be an awesome 13 weeks of TV, and I'm glad to have you boys along for the ride in my big rig. Sincerely, 7th Cavill Steve. Wow, that name is quite interesting. <laughs> um, and, and a compliment there that we're along for the ride, so thank you seventh cavil steve um yeah i will mention pete it's it's nine episodes 
for the this first season, not 13. So, which is a weird number. I mean, I, I can't, I, I feel like somehow eight, six or eight kind of is like the posh kind of British influence number. And then, you know, yeah. 10 kind of is the, uh, you know what, Marvel, maybe we don't have 13. Let's do 10. Nine is kind of a weird number. It does beat, divide nicely into beginning, middle, end and all of that. Um, We've uh, seen too with Star Trek, like, um, you know, they've they've given them 13 episode seasons. And then for the first season, it was OK, go go film two more. You, you can have two more. And then for the second one, they did 14. Um, this feels like maybe it was eight and, and stretched over. Uh, so maybe in that like limited series run that, that's become kind of the the chic way to go about it. But uh, yeah, that you mentioned there's the you know three trilogies if you will uh might be something to that pete let's now pivot to quickly talking about some of the episode titles that are out there uh, we can prognosticate with uh with whatever i don't know whatever there is to get them having seen the pilot i don't know that i would have connected the pilot title to much of anything so i think it, it it's fairly spoiler free but we've saved it you know for towards the end so that it's uh you know if, if you want to, uh, if you want to press pause until you've seen more episodes, you certainly can. But Pete, are you ready to go through these titles? Sure. All right. First uh, episode: It's summer and we're running out of ice. Second episode: Martial feats of Comanche horsemanship. The third is: She was killed by space junk. The fourth episode: If you don't like my story, write your own. It feels feels a direct <laughs> jab back at Lost. <laughs> uh, the fifth episode, Little Fear of Lightning. And the sixth episode, This Extraordinary Being. That's it for what's out there, Pete. All those episodes either solely written or co-written by Damon Lindelof. Um, so I'll st- I guess we'll start backwards, Pete. This Extraordinary Being it's out there in the preview that somebody appearing to be Dr. Manhattan comes to earth. Uh, the pilot includes confirmation that Dr. Manhattan is still on Mars. Is he the extraordinary being of episode one Oh six? Would they really hold a Dr. Manhattan reveal until two thirds of the way through the series, then put him in marketing stuff? Well, I think again, the, the thing to look at is, this show is not about what the, the buzz phrase now seems to be legacy characters, um, you know, characters brought over from previous incarnations or other versions. Uh, I know exactly when Dr. Manhattan shows up. I'm not going to say that for our audience. Matt did not want to hear it um, either when we were speaking uh, prior to today's podcast. Um but like I said, six episodes have have been seen, and uh, the the titles that the titles for the last three are not out. I think is um, something that should be gathering people's attention more so than the ones that are out. Well, I know that we are super excited for the show to finally be out there. Uh, my pet theories from the pilot continue to percolate. And, uh, of course, the entire run that we're going to do for these nine episodes is brought to you by the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Indeed, Pete, as we crunch the numbers and look forward to a very busy December with a bunch of different TV show properties, it's uh, all in the foundation of those Patreon pals. 
everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. There's all sorts of levels past that, but all it takes is a dollar to get you in the door to be helping us out. That's a quarter a week, Matt, beyond affordable for this free thing, for all the free things that we bring you. That support so, so appreciated, Pete. But so, too, is being able to talk to people. How can people interact about Watchmen with you on Twitter? Well, you can certainly live tweet along with us, hoping to get a, a big new crop of people to be interacting with on uh, the night of the premiere. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,694 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today pete the next time we talk watchmen it'll be in the shadow of the pilot being seen by all such exciting times can't wait to dive on in for now, though, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Bye-bye.